This is the second time we are doing this podcast. Addie is a saint and does 100% of the technical editing work on this podcast. And we had a glitch, which is why it's taken us a little longer to get this episode out. And we completely lost our last episode. It was and it all was edited. A it was banger. all edited. It was great. <laughs> and then I opened it and I got the dreaded flat line. Yeah. So for my Gen, what is that Gen Z lango? It was a banger. Is that like a, is that like a thing? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a phrase that a banger like like a like it was banging. Oh, like but like I think the lingo? term is like it's a, it was a banger. Like it was banger. really good. I'm showing that kind that. that kind of like makes me think of a big poop for some reason. <laughs> Maybe because we were just talking about it. Do you have wine? That's behind me. So we also are doing an experiment tonight because. It's been a a long 10 plus months of Haley Kava not consuming alcohol. (laughs) And so this will be the first podcast that I've done with a glass of wine. So we'll see if I'm a better podcaster with or without a little booze. (laughs) Pretty excited about that because I've been feeling pretty alone in my wine consumption with all my friends being pregnant. So, yes, this is take two. We're going to make it just as good as the first one and a little bit probably more organized. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll also find out if actually having a plan helps us works. do better I don't know if that's going to work. You think it will? I think we're just both kind of like free-minded people, and so it works better to just dive in, go for blinded. it. Because even the last episode didn't turn out exactly what we were, like the one that we lost. We were like, okay, we're going to talk about prolapse. And we talked about a whole bunch of other stuff, too. And I think... We always have a slight plan, and we always derail yeah and, I think and it always works so yeah there there's you go. some some hopefully some nuggets in there <laughs> yeah for sure hi and welcome to the don't beat around the bush podcast i'm Addie holzman and i'm Haley kava we're friends pelvic floor physical therapists moms and occasional hot messes who are here for real uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health And because our conversations are uncensored, they're likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment. Prolapse. What a hot topic. Yeah. I think prolapse is definitely the redheaded stepchild of public floor things that everyone's like, I don't wanna I don't wanna talk about it. I don't wanna deal with it. I'm kind of scared about it. Nobody knows enough about it. Doctors don't know about enough about it. It's so variable, it changes day to day, and that's frustrating as hell. Mm-hmm. And it's or, a, a long recovery. Mm-hmm. It can be. Yeah. So pelvic organ prolapse is a general term for the organs of the pelvis descending. And there are several different types, types. and varieties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so knowing your, ana- your own anatomy, really taking a mirror and taking a look at your own vulva can really help you connect to what's happening in your body. So if you're confused and because it's something that we don't look at 
often, and it's inside, our organs are inside. It's not like male anatomy. Again, like we, I think we said on an early episode, like it's all out there for them. So they really get to know it a whole lot better than, than we do. So look at it and study it and right. know your, you know, we say know your bush, love your bush. I think that's really true. It's like the more you know about your body, the more you can love it. You don't love somebody you don't know that just you just pass by on the street. You know someone that you get to know all the good and bad parts of. And so you same thing. peel the layers of like mystery and just like shutting down. Like a lot of people just shut down wanting to see or look or touch or anything to mm-hmm. do with down there. Yeah. You can't control something that you don't know, right? As yeah. far as like contractions or kegels so, or whatever. And so then like when that comes to something like something as intimate as sexual contact, whether that's penetrative intercourse or not, if you don't know and love your own parts, how can you expect somebody to know and love them better than you? Right. Right. And I think, you know, Addy, we were talking earlier about there's some research that suggests that, you know, 50% of women or some something like that, 50% or so of women who have pelvic organ prolapse feel like it's impacted their sex life. And I think a lot of that lends to this fear and this unknown and this sense of letdown. You're not alone. You know, no, nine, there's ninety a- up to ninety percent of women have pelvic organ prolapse. I've been doing some more right after birth. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. a period. Wow, about yeah, and then about twenty percent are symptomatic. But that's almost every woman has some descent to their pelvic organs. And it's really important to point out before I forget that the extent of the prolapse does not directly correlate to your symptoms. No, not even. So some people might have a fairly significant prolapse and no symptoms. And other people might have, you know, a slight prolapse and a lot of symptoms. Here's um, a funny story. Well, not funny, but here's a story about my journey. So Ash was deploying every six months, like on and off six months for the for four years. So, so let me just, just interrupt you for a moment. <laughs> I need to have a moment to think coronavirus. I know so many people are cursing it and hating it, but this postpartum mom is extremely appreciative and that my husband does not need to leave for six months because of it. Wait, this spring? He's supposed to leave in December. And he's not going? Nope. Nice. Yeah. That's a win. Yeah. So it's like 2021 on the right foot. Seriously. So thanks COVID. I think that's probably the only time. I think that's the only time I've probably said that. (laughs) There's always pros and cons, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Um, that's awesome. Sorry. So when, so he was gone for Elsie's birth. That was his third deployment. That was his second deployment. And then he had two after that, I believe. I really lost track. He deployed a lot in that period of time. He did. So postpartum with Elsie, I knew I had a prolapse right off the bat. And I did all my PT and the first year was pretty rough. It, it was constant exercises to like get me back on track. But you would feel, feel heavy. You'd feel heavy, mm-hmm. heavy. And sometimes to the point of like, I felt almost chafed mm. on like the real bad days, mm-hmm. but I could always control things with my exercises. It was just a lot of work and time mm-hmm. to like reset. Right. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, sex was feeling a little bit different for me. It was a little bit painful and pinchy and, Um, We had to use a lot of lube all the time. We had to use the wedge. It was very slow and methodical. Like, it was not very sexy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But we made it work. So anyway, we started playing this game where I'd be like, what does it feel like today? And he would be like, your 20-year-old self or your 30-year-old self or whatever. And 
it just kind of gave me input as to maybe how how I was doing that day. Yeah, right? penis biofeedback. Yes, it was great. <laughs> and so he w- deployed for six months, and I worked really hard at like my exercise and all my pelvic stuff. And he came back <laughs> the first time we had sex. He's like, "Wow, <laughs> you definitely feel like your teenage self." And I was like, yeah, so proud, mm-hmm. <laughs> so proud. So the story just illustrates ups and downs. Like yeah. some days you're going to feel worse than others. And prolapse recovery is so variable. Yeah, I love that story in that it is such a good anecdote for allowing your partner into the pelvic floor recovery journey. You know, you've probably seen on Amazon if you've searched, you know, Kegels or pelvic floor or anything like that. Any of those tools, they'll have what's called a biofeedback tool, which basically is a a probe that you can insert into your vagina that has sensors in it that will give you a visual representation or a number representation on um, sort of like a monitor or on your smartphone to tell you if you're contracting your pelvic floor strongly. And I've had lots of patients who've bought these to sort of give them that feedback, which I'm lukewarm on, Mm -hmm. but they have their place for sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, why not use a penis for that? So that now you're not only getting this ability of like, am I contracting? Am I relaxing? But now you've invited your partner into that experience (laughs) um you've invited your partner into that and they now feel like yeah like they're starting to understand or maybe get part of what you're going through and I think that reintroduction of sex especially penetrative intercourse back into your life after having baby or after prolapse could be such a, a cool thing for you and your partner to be able to do. So I definitely encourage people to do that. Like, yeah, ask, can you feel that? Can you feel me contracting? Can you feel me relaxing? Yeah, I think that's... And postpartum sex in general, but, you know, we're specifically talking about prolapse. But postpartum sex in general, I think the communicative yeah. aspect is so incredibly important because your partner does not know what it feels like to be postpartum. They don't know, like, what you're feeling or your fears or maybe your pleasure has changed. Maybe you want different things. Um, I have noticed that only since being postpartum that I feel like my clit moves. Like, Hmm. sometimes it's more up by my pubic bone, like, right underneath that pubic bone. Other times I feel like it's more down towards the vagina. And so, like, it's crazy. Like, postpartum, things have moved around, stretched. you know, the, the superficial the superficial pelvic floor muscles kind of under the like that pubic bone under that arch, they stretch big time and then our bladder kind of sits behind that. So if we have a situation of cystocele or bladder prolapse or bladder descent, that that could totally impact that clitoral tissue because the stretch that 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 has on the on the muscles there and the muscles are what helps keep the blood in that erectile tissue. So your clitoris, yes, is sort of like a mini penis above your urethra, but it also extends back. It's so much bigger than we think. And it extends is. sort of around the vaginal opening like a wishbone. Yeah. Looks like a wishbone. Mm-hmm. And so 
Just like penile tissue, when it's aroused, it fills with blood and gets larger and becomes more sensitive. And the muscles around that is what helps keep the blood in that tissue so that you continue to feel aroused and continue to feel good with whatever sort of sexual activity you're doing, whether that's external or internal. If your muscles aren't doing what they're supposed to do, or they're too tight or they're or they're not contracting well or they've been injured from childbirth, that's going to impact your ability to maintain an erection, maintain your ladywood. <laughs> so to even know that, to even know those things about our body is really cool. And I think like we started with the episode, it's like the more we know about how our pelvic floor and our pelvic organs work the more we can appreciate like how really cool all that is and even if it's having some problems even if there has been some changes that we still love it and that we still appreciate it fun fact Mm -hmm. but sad fact do you know that we discovered the moon before we started studying the clitoris i saw that on um what's her name Uh, laurel is that laurel yeah if i'm unfolding we should tag her yeah her page is really great yeah she's a military spouse also oh that's awesome Mm -hmm. she's in uh, kansas right now no way Mm -hmm. i think they moved there after maybe after you left that's cool yeah small world Mm -hmm. yeah and the doesn't the clitoris have over eight thousand nerve endings or something insane like that Mm -hmm. so it definitely you know it definitely needs to be known about Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, and there's a whole movement about accurate depictions of vulvas in anatomy textbooks and mm. accurate representation because just like fingerprints, everyone's vulva is different. You know, the porn vagina mm-hmm. is not the norm. No. And just like the porn penis is not the norm. Right. <laughs> and so to minimize that a feeling of like shame about our mm-hmm. bodies can just go right out the effing window mm-hmm. because because we need representation of what actually a vulva looks like. And I think, you know, even in school, like when you know, you'd be in your anatomy textbook, everything would be like cut away, right? So it would be like you'd see like the vagina and the urethra and the rectum. But like the the labia minora, the labia majora, the lips of the vagina weren't even like on it, I felt like, half the time. Right. Or a clitoral hood or any of that stuff that is what's so different person to person. Mm-hmm. And so we need to represent the, the vaginas, the vulvas, and the variety that they have. Yeah. Because I think that's important for us to feel confident. Super important. Yeah. I don't know if that's what we're supposed to be talking about today. But. <laughs> we can talk about whatever we want. I'm kind of well <laughs> But I think that, all, but also, like, where that's coming from, I think, for me, is that I know now, postpartum after my second child, my vulva looks different right now. So when I, oh, did he just poop again? I don't know, but you don't have a diaper. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to send Bobby home, run home and grow. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. So, so you know you're a second time mom when you just don't bring a diaper bag anywhere. Yeah. Because like, you're just like, eh, we'll be fine. I remember for, with David, I would pack like three outfits and like 10 diapers and yeah. two bags away. Or like, like check obscene. the bag and make sure the bag had all the things. <laughs> and like, I remember pa- like intentionally packing like pacifiers. Kim didn't even take a pacifier. Like, yep. Why was I worried about packing a pacifier? <laughs> like, I'd time, pack the white noise. I'd pack all, you know, the, all the blankets, all the things. And uh, this time I'm like, I don't even have the bag. Yeah, by Elsie, I was just bringing one diaper and a pack of wipes. <laughs> um, so, prolapse types. There's a lot of variety in prolapse types. You can have the cystocele, which is the bladder, and that's more your the front 
part of your vagina. You can have a urethra seal, which is your urethra mm -hmm. coming out. Um, that's also in the front. Mm -hmm. You can have a urethrocystocele, which is both. Mm -hmm. You can have a rectocele versus a rectal prolapse. So a rectocele is inside. It's like a pouch uh, bulging into the vagina before your anal sphincter. Can I tell a urethrocele story? Yeah. So when I had my first son, Cam, <laughs> I had a catheter with my epidural. And they took it out when, he, when I pushed. And because I was so swollen... They were worried about my ability to, like, empty my bladder. So they put my catheter back in. And when we, they put the catheter back in, it was, like, very uncomfortable. And the whole time it was in, it was just, like, the most bizarre feeling of, like, for hours not having the sensation of having to go to the bathroom and just it emptying out on its own. It was a very bizarre thing. And so I was always uncomfortable around my urethra after that. Um, and then when I looked postpartum the first time, I could actually see my urethra for the first time. I think everything had just kind of shifted and moved. So before where urethra was maybe like tucked up a little bit higher and sort of harder to see, mm -hmm. it was like in totally like plain sight. So I was like convinced I had a urethra seal. And so when I went to my first public floor course and I was like, do I have a urethra seal? And they were like, no, you're fine. I was like, okay. But what qualifies as a urethra seal? Because the urethra is not in the vagina. The urethra is above the vagina. So cystocele, the bladder belly, it's the bladder pushing into the vaginal canal. Mm -hmm. A urethra seal is the opening of the urethra descending and sort of telescoping in that the opening kind of pushes out where it should be sort of flush to the, I don't know. Yeah, the, the border. Yeah. Of, right. Yeah. So like a rectal prolapse, because a rectal yes. prolapse is the rectum coming out of the Straight anus. out, yes. So those two are a little bit different in that they're on the out. On outside. the outside, yeah. coming out Where of... Where the seals, mm -hmm. the they're pocket... Pu they're pushing into the into vaginal Into the vaginal space. canal. So the, the walls of the vagina are not dense. The walls of the vagina are flexible and movable. And that's good because a baby needs to come out of there and pee and poop needs to move freely past there and penises and other things need to go in there. So, so it's good that those walls are flexible, but it allows sometimes that pocket to develop when there's that downward downward pressure. And then you can have so the rectocele and then the entrocele, which is the small intestine um, bulging into the vaginal canal. We were kind of, I think, chatting about this in the last episode of... Did you say no. the last episode? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> of that potentially happening more commonly with hysterectomies and with maybe pelvic surgeries because of the soft tissue changes. Oh, the enterocele? Enterocele, yeah. Is it entro or entero? entero. I think that's a regional pronunciation thing. Like, Diastasis, diastasis? Yeah, like how I say capillary. What's that? Capillary? Yeah. You say capillary? That's a Canadian. Kinda, that's more fun to say. Capillary. Or manubrium. That's how we learned it. What's oh, manubrium? Manubrium? No, manubrium. Okay. The other way sounds funny. Um, yeah. yeah, so your, your uterus is in the middle of your bladder and your rectum. And so the fascial connections that hold up your uterus and your bladder and your rectum from the inside to your abdominal wall or to your back, they help keep everything up. You take the uterus away, now the sort of center pole of the circus tent is gone. Yeah, hysterectomies do increase Big time. your 
risk of prolapse, so, unfortunately. So sometimes they'll tack the vaginal vault up to the sacrum. Uh, and I, I, I'm nowhere close to a surgeon, so I don't know exactly the anatomical like landmarks that they use for that. But they do sometimes try to support that vaginal vault so that less likely for it to, to prolapse down. But totally, that's a that increases your risk. Plus, the low estrogen state that follows a complete hysterectomy. So the menopause, or in menopause. So just like in, that's, and I think that's part of why the risk of prolapse is high postpartum and in menopause because it's a low estrogen state. So estrogen helps our tissues be plump and flexible and resilient little bit more resilient and so now we're in a low estrogen state things are going to be a little drier things are going to be a little less flexible a little bit more likely to want to go with gravity more lube yeah that's where yeah that's why we need all the lube (laughs) um some common symptoms of a cystocele or urethrocystocele is a poor or prolonged urinary stream so if you have like a weak stream or you feel like you're not emptying all the way um, that can indicate that the bladder has prolapsed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, also that like post void leaking. So when you pee and then you stand up and you pee a little bit more, even though you thought you were all done, is, is that pee kind of falling under that pocket? Mm-hmm. And then a rectocele, you may have some vaginal pressure. You might feel a protrusion from the posterior vaginal wall going into the vaginal space. Um, You might feel the need to reposition during your bowel movements or feeling like you're not getting empty or difficulty evacuating or basically that just means pooping. Mm -hmm. So that's where it's really helpful to splint. Today I had to splint for a poop. Like internally I had to put my whole thumb in there. Into my vagina. I've I've had to do that a few times. And I was, I felt, I was so upset. Like, I was just, like, I knew exactly what was happening, and I'd never had to splint internally before, like, even, like, not after cam, nothing, and I feel like I'd been doing pretty good, like, not being constipated, having normal bowel movements, and for whatever reason, I was constipated today. It was just hanging out, and I was like, I don't want to, I'm not going to strain. Why would I strain? It's not going to come out. So then I tried it, and I could feel, like, a big bulge, like, into the canal. I pushed it back, and I was like... Oh, that's it. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Because I had never actually splinted like that before. Like, I'd splinted on the outside for support. Mm-hmm. But that was definitely the first... It's oh, not no. the end of the episode. Not the end of the episode. Oh, no. <laughs> the timing was a little bit off. <laughs> so you can do it externally, where you, between. you just push on the perineum, mm-hmm. kind of backwards. In the past, when I've been constipated, splinting next to my tailbone has been more helpful. You kind of, like, reach back, put a little pressure behind your tailbone, coccygeus, like some of those posterior pelvic floor muscles. But that really didn't feel like... It wasn't a huge poop. It was just that the poop was caught in a little pocket Mm -hmm. and so immediately when I kind of put my thumb in side vaginally I could feel it I could feel like oh like that's that posterior wall laxity (laughs) like there it is like Mm -hmm. and it's always bizarre because I feel like you feel and experience things with clients but it's completely different. It's so hard to be objective with yourself. So like I would explain that to a patient without hesitation and without acknowledging the like the mental aspect of that. 
the distress. Yeah. And like, I was feeling distressed about it today. Mm. Not like I knew exactly what was happening. Imagine not knowing what was happening. Yeah. And being like, what the hell? What is this big thing that's in my vagina? Like, like, cause at first to try to get your, like your thumb, it was almost like blocking the way. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't difficult to, to press it. And, and then kind of, I pressed it, then I could like breathe and, and it was fine. But I was like, shoot like to just go through that give it gave it a whole new like whole new value and i'm six weeks postpartum and that had not happened in the first six weeks Mm -hmm. you know a bit of constipation a bit harder stool than than usual and now i'm experiencing those rectocele symptoms in my head i'm like trying to realize like that doesn't mean that i have a rectocele Mm-hmm. you know it means that I wasn't managing pressure well and I had constipation and that created that situation I, I don't want to assign a grade to it I don't want to call it a diagnosis it's again it's just like okay I need to be aware and mindful of this and make sure I'm doing the right stuff to support it yeah no definitely that feeling of how distressing all of that could be I, I feel have... like that with the whole postpartum journey like I yeah I'm like I know what I know, and it's still, like, frustrating. I can't imagine, like, being not a pelvic floor PT or knowing all of these things and trying to navigate that, so... And yeah, the the guilt of, like, oh, I I should know better, and I do know better. I do know that I shouldn't get constipated. I do know how to properly evacuate my bowels. But shit happens, (laughs) you know? And so... You know, we're human. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So the entero in- seal. Mm-hmm. I like entero seal better, okay. I think. So those symptoms are similar to the recto seal. However, you can get low back discomfort that mm. worsens as the day progresses. I wonder if you would have like more digestive system symptoms with that like too. Like as your food was digesting, it had to like pass all the way down and then come all the way back up like almost like a hernia situation where you could get like strangulation of your you would think yeah yeah i feel like those probably don't happen in isolation i don't know if any of these do you know what i mean like if one is a little prolapse you probably have a little prolapse of another Mm -hmm. Uh, you know maybe to different degrees but the whole unit is descending maybe one with at a greater rate than the other but right they're all yeah yeah and then a uterine prolapse you can have blood stain discharge difficulty and in bowel and bladder emptying that you can also get low back pain and discomfort yeah. that worsens as the date progresses well because if so, you think about yeah if you think about again all the the connections of the soft tissue that help keep that all connected you know inside your body really the <laughs> organs of our body are really tightly packed in there but they're all connected with um, fascia. So yeah, it starts to move downwards. It's going to pull on the abdomen. It's going to pull on the back. It could affect digestion. It could affect all those things because they're not separate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do we measure prolapse? So the pop cue is when a speculum is used and it's completed by your gynecologist or gynecologist. And they're actually measuring the descent. Mm -hmm. It's like a a whole breakdown chart of how the steps of how you do it. Because I feel like a lot of times things are just eyeballed. So I had a four-week appointment, which I think is a bit too early. But anyway, that's a whole episode on that. So I had mentioned, like, I know I'm definitely having some symptoms of prolapse. I'm not that stressed out about it, but it's definitely a... I'm a, and they know I'm a, I'm like, I'm a public floor PT. This is what I do. I'm working on it. I'm on it. I just, you know, sometimes it's just a nice opportunity to like have a conversation with the midwife or the 
provider. And to no discredit of the provider who did my exam, they're looking at your uterus shrinking down at that four-week appointment. That's their primary thing. So when I started talking about being a pelvic floor PT, she asked me to like contract to see how my like pelvic floor strength was. And I had a little bit of a contraction. I'm definitely still have some weakness. And then she had me cough with her finger inside and was like, yeah, a little bit. That was the response. Like, yeah, a little prolapse. I was like, which of the 10 (laughs) prolapses? Well, like, that's not how you evaluate prolapse. No. (laughs) Um, It's not the time or place to, like, provide that education. (laughs) But I was like, I know. I told you I had prolapse. (laughs) And I wondered, being a provider and seeing women in those first six to eight weeks postpartum, I feel like so many women have prolapses right that after a while they're like yeah, yeah 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 i think we talked about this on the on pop culture episode Did we? i think so but Did like we? yeah at that six-week appointment i generally don't evaluate people i don't have people bear down and assess their prolapse yeah because because it's like i know what we're gonna find yeah you don't need to stress those tissues we, yeah we don't we don't box let's talk about symptoms let's talk about how things feel let's talk about how things function and if in a few weeks we're still feeling heavy, we're still feeling dragging, let's let's look at it and see if what's going on. I don't think there's any reason to stress someone out unnecessarily. Let's give them all the support, all the strategies. Let's assume that's happening because let's face it, postpartum everyone, everyone needs to work on their pressure management mm-hmm. postpartum. Mm-hmm. So going back to the pop cue. Okay. Sorry. Back around. Sorry. <laughs> so there's four well, five levels, zero being one of them. Okay. The levels of prolapse is all relating to the hymen, which is basically the opening of the vagina. So if you're a level one, you're descending. Means that it's greater than one centimeter above the opening of the vagina. And level two is one centimeter above or below the oh, hymen. Mm-hmm. Three is more than one centimeter. one centimeter below. And then four is like a complete the whole thing version, yeah. which I have heard of happening and sounds terrifying. Mm-hmm. So that those are the levels. Pop Q is the gold standard of assessing if you're going to get a very objective measurements. Yep. Not everyone will. It's time consuming. Not all doctors have the time um, or yep. put emphasis on it. but just to know. Yeah, I would say your urogynecologists or your female urologists would be probably your go-to for really your in-depth diagnosis of that because they're also going to be the doctor who would perform surgery on something like that. Right. More most often. Cuz your OB is just kind of making sure everything's Yeah. And and you want to go to the person who's dealing with the, those particular things the most. And so if the caseload of the OBGYN is like 90% pregnancy and postpartum and they're managing pregnancies and they're doing C-sections and they're delivering babies, like that's their bread and butter. Mm-hmm. So if you aren't going to have surgery on something, you want somebody who does that surgery a million times a week because then right. you know like they do it all the time. They see it all the time. That's their area of expertise, just like physical therapy, right? Mm-hmm. So we're all physical therapists. But in terms of something related to pelvic floor, you don't want to see the knee expert. Sort of. And sometimes 
in my opinion, this for me personally, I didn't want to know a level because yeah. I knew it didn't really matter. I wasn't going to have surgery. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that bad. I could manage it with exercises and it, it was progressively getting better. Yeah. So sometimes a number can really mess with your head. Well, and that the research actually suggests that we can improve that prolapse by a grade. I believe it. Pretty I consist- don't have pretty consistently. I don't have any pro- any prolapse yeah. symptoms anymore. Yeah, and so so what? And fours, you know, fours are three or four. I mean, even threes. Threes I feel like. are recoverable. Like so, if a three is, you know, a centimeter beyond, so you feel a bulge, you feel that organ coming outside of your body. If we can improve that by a grade, a grade is a two. That's one centimeter above the yeah. hymenal opening. Yeah. So that's you know that's huge. That's a lot. And the grades are taken when you're bearing down. So that's mm-hmm. going to be the full descent of those organs, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not like where they just hang out on a mm-hmm. regular basis. Yeah. Sex with prolapse mm-hmm. can be a little bit scary. Communication is so key. Yeah. We talked about that too. Yeah. And oh. so I think the caveat is that we are not sex therapists. No. And that... Sex therapists are amazing if you can get your hands on one. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe do we even we have, should we should maybe do that masters in Michigan, right? Yeah, like, let's do it. Yeah. Like the, the work that needs to be done, which is, I think equally as important as your strengthening and your rehab and your PT and whatever is the work of connecting, reconnecting intimately with your partner. So sensate focus being a, intimacy sort of protocol that's been around for a long time that gets kind of tossed out there a lot you can just google that right yep yeah it's sort of just i think the most valuable when both partners sort of read through it to understand like how do we progress this intimacy how do we get to know each other appreciate each other's bodies appreciate each other on a more intimate level and that that lends to wanting to have sex Mm-hmm. Whatever the representation of that is, whether it's touching and heavy petting or it's full-blown penetrative intercourse. But ma- motherhood, new motherhood, every time you add a child to the family, that dynamic shifts so great. So now you not only have the physical changes, you have the family changes. And it's really hard to separate your family dynamic relationship and your intimate partner relationship after Cam was born Bobby and I had this like big conversation about like I can be your wife I can be a mom I can be a PT but I it's hard for me to be all of those things and your girlfriend mm-hmm. you know I can't do all of those things all day long and then put on my sexy lingerie and you know spend you know, you know it's just mm-hmm. like you're tired yeah. <laughs> you're stressed yeah. and now add this layer of like self-consciousness of a vulva and vagina and pelvic organs that now don't feel the same. And it's this whole, it's a, it's a very slippery slope for letting intimacy and letting that in those intimate relationships kind of suffer, which sucks. Cause. And then you have the time restraints, you mm-hmm. know, like you feel like you're on the clock. Mm-hmm. Like we got to do this quick, but really you need more time to warm up and connect yeah, and foreplay right. before you dive in. So it's just like so many conflicting things at play with mm-hmm. postpartum sex. So just knowing that, but also knowing that if you go into it with fear or you go into it with reservation, 
that's going to tense up your pelvic floor. It's going to affect your breathing patterns. That's going to maybe increase your sympathetic response or your pain Mm -hmm. if you're having pain. Because I know every time I went in into sex and I'm I'm just like, oh, this is going to be painful. I don't want to do this. It was painful. You know, it's like just self-confirming. Yeah. Whereas if you can mentally just erase, okay, that to-do list, erase it. The kids are fine. Erase it. And just erase your mind and be in the moment. And like that connection is so huge. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think we think about, you know, someone tells you your organs are falling out. What is the first thing you're going to do? Clench. Tighten up because you're like, well, shit, I don't want this. Cross your, leg, cross your legs so just... then we're living our whole life like okay and then this other side of it of like okay now a 10 pound baby just came out of my vagina how is this gonna feel for my partner so then i'm tensing because i'm hoping that that tensing is gonna help the experience for my partner when all that's doing is maybe oh. making you more uncomfortable which is gonna mm-hmm. make them uncomfortable and if you're uncomfortable you're i know for me if i'm uncomfortable or not enjoying it i'm not getting as wet and he can tell and then he's like what's going on and you're not into it and like yeah you don't want them to just like (laughs) like that's awkward they don't want that either right like a good supportive partner wants you to be enjoying the experience to not just like lay there and take it like we call that floppy fishing (laughs) yeah ew (laughs) that's not good i will admit on more than one occasion that is what i've done but I think you I'm know, trying to get more any... energy. <laughs> we joke about it all the time. I'm like, like I'm just gonna fish it. it. <laughs> we have that joke of like, it's never actually like turns into anything. But we definitely have a joke of like, I'm like 99% asleep, and Bobby's like, hey, and I'm like, you can do whatever you want, but I'm not moving. <laughs> I give consent, but I'm not working for it. Like, do whatever you want, and it's like just an ongoing kind of funny funny too (laughs) so communication yeah lube lube is so huge that decreased estrogen any tightness any you know if you have any fears of it being painful um it can make it feel so much better you might get less pinching because things are you know less frictionous yeah so so i get so good clean love sends me some samples i just signed up you need there's like a couple companies i gotta give you all i got that one and slippery slippery stuff stuff. and good clean love and uber lube oh uber lube will send you more lube than you can imagine good clean love like i think it's like on auto ship i got like a box of good clean love lube to the house (laughs) and i opened it up and i was like it's here. <laughs> Must mean I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love lube. I have no shame in my lube game. Like, we and don't I, even really need it as much anymore, and I still like it because it just makes yeah. it feel better. Well, and it's maybe even part of the ritual. So another huge thing with prolapse and sex is foreplay. We kind of touched on it. but mm-hmm. So one of the biggest pieces of advice or homework I give patients with like tightness or trigger points mm. is to have their partner do some trigger point yeah. release like pre-sex and i've never had any partner complain about this doing it yeah 
So it tends to be a good foreplay, but also getting that pelvic floor relaxed and getting, you know, starting that touch and just starting things and yeah, getting in a getting, groove. Getting involved mm-hmm. in the process. Right. Right. And I think most partners, they were in the room for a C-section. They were in the room for a vaginal birth. That partner knows what you went through. Mm-hmm. And so I think deep down, they really do want to be there to help support you in that recovery process and so you give them a tangible thing to do Mm -hmm. i'm gonna jump right jump right on it hopefully yeah so teaching teaching them how to release those pelvic floor muscles so what we talked about last time was that sometimes pelvic floor tension can trick us into feeling those feelings of heaviness can feel like a golf ball in there feel like a tampon's in there then we clench more because we're mm-hmm. nervous about prolapse or we clench more because we're worried about that feeling and that drives that cycle of tension discomfort yeah now you can break that cycle you can release that pain you can use your breathing strategies you can use the certain positions right so positions where you are have your hips higher than your body so you are going to decrease that gravity on it so cystocele so this is something that we didn't talk about in the last episode which I sort of had been thinking about this week a little bit more was on your back is going to be better for rectocele mm-hmm. because that's going to kind of take it and probably a uterine prolapse right? yeah and yeah if you have your hips higher and it's going to be good for everything because it's an inversion right but all fours with your elbows down mm. may actually be better for your bl- for a bladder prolapse yeah because then gravity is going to take that bladder out of the the way of the vagina the vaginal canal Mm-hmm. If you have a more symptomatic bladder prolapse that's pinching in the front, you could switch it up to go all fours, elbows down. Mm-hmm. Or if you were more symptomatic with the rectocele, then you could go more wedge, hips elevated in order to get that the rectum out of the way and support that posterior vaginal wall a little bit more, which I thought was like, ah, oh. I think side like sidelining is one of my favorite. Really. Mm-hmm. I hate so it, not for climax necessarily. I we can't ever figure it out. But <laughs> like, how do you jive and like move and so stuff? I'll, we'll have to get some Teach like, me, pictures me. going. <laughs> but because I feel like in sideline, it takes gravity out of everything. Sideline is one of my favorite positions for exercises for people to like get connected to their pelvic floor. And because I feel like it takes all the organs into sort of a gravity neutral state. Yeah. Right. So it's not just bladder, just rectum or uterus. It's like kind of everything can chill out down when you're on your side. Really? I'm surprised that you don't like sideline. You can get into like, we've done it. A hip shift. 0.0001% of the time. I gotta teach you some. I like, just feel so like in side lying, like facing each other, or side lying, like spooning? no, 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 no. Like okay, I should back up. You are in side lying, and, and your partner is not. How, how are they? They're kneeling. How does that match up? You're in like a or, adductor pullback position, and so they're holding your top like a side lying. If you're pushing to push a baby out on your side, yeah. So like your top leg is on so your then shoulder? they're like behind your knees. But upright. Like high kneel or yeah, like a yeah, missionary yeah. style? High kneeling. Are you wedged up? Or even... Are you, are you suspended in the air? <laughs> <laughs> you could do it at the edge of the bed with them standing if they wanted to stand. But no, no, kneeling, high kneeling. But you're laying on your side. Yeah. Like just your pelvis so like is my... a different level than, than their penis. Oh, wait, then. hold on. What's happening? 
Bobby. Like, this is like a thing that we do all the time. Why am I, can I not? I guess. So more missionary-ish. Like they're kind of laying on their, they're coming forward. Now we're going to have to experiment. Well, it's been a while since I've had a lot of sex. So <laughs> maybe it's time. Because oh it's God. now like escaping me. But no, that's definitely like a thing. I'll have to try it that way. But spooning is not. No, I hate no, no, not spooning. It's, it's definitely too hard not. to. It, for one, so, it's okay. not very deep. So imagine you're. I guess it is kind of like so missionary, like, but I feel like he has more movement control. Maybe it is. So, it so essentially, like- you could be like like you would be on your back, but then you just like pivot, rotate to your side on into side lying. So you take your like say you you swing your left leg around them. Okay. Don't you feel like you're getting poked on one side of your pelvis? So no. So that's exactly what I use that for is if I feel like on your back, you're getting pain on one side, you can go into side lying and do a left hip shift goes away. Or if you're on, if you flipped over onto your left side, you can adduct on the left, get your left anterior pelvic floor on. Wouldn't that push them away? Mm -mm. Okay. We're going to have to practice this. Me and Ash. (laughs) And and to me, like that, that would feel safe for me early postpartum because it's also less direct perennial pressure. Yeah. Um, and on your pubic bone, if you mm-hmm. have any pubic It's like, pain. I, I, it's hard to, it's just be, don't be around the bush podcast. So it's not t- too much information, but <laughs> it would be hard to like climax in that position. Yeah. It's not impossible, but it's a, it's a good it's a good position to learn about releasing or activating a pelvic floor that's asymmetrically tight. Mm. Mm-hmm. So a nerdy position. Oh, no, that's where I've nerded <laughs> out the most. That's like where my sex nerdiness it. got interesting because I would, he would like kind of hold onto my left, like inside knee, and then I'd shift into left hip shift to get my left adductor on and then turn into a bit of left hip internal rotation. And then I could like feel a lot of this left. is very nerdy talk. Yeah. Postural restoration has sex positions that they recommend. And a lot of them are pelvis supported, posterior pelvic tilted positions to release the back of the pelvic floor on both sides. Mm-hmm. But I find those have limited success with my patients who are very strong asymmetric tension in their pelvic floor. Either they have a very dominant right obturator like dominant right anterior pelvic floor or they have a very dominant left posterior pelvic floor that those positions don't always knock it out of the park because they're not asymmetric positions so asymmetric sex positions can make a huge huge difference for pain interesting i'm gonna have to play around with that for sure change my mindset Mm -hmm. open broaden my horizons Because, like, you can do that in supine, right? Where in missionary type position where you press your knees in to get your adductors on, like, turn your feet out. Yep. That changes the muscle muscle relationships in the pelvic floor and can change that sensation. Can help you maintain activation in the pelvic floor muscles, that bulbocavernosis and um, ischiocavernosis that help keep blood in the clitoris, that help keep you maintaining your... Ladywood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Important. Circling back to that. So if you have a situation where one side is different, like that would be the assumption that both sides are lengthened. You're descending on both sides. But if that's not the case and you're asymmetric in your pelvis, then you can press in with one side, internally rotate on one side, externally rotate on the other side. And now you have a more balanced pelvic floor. 
And so then it's easier to contract and relax in a balanced way if we're putting it in an asymmetric position. So I have a whole module on positional tips for sex in my online to birth and back course. Mm, yep. So Which you should check out. Yeah, you should you should check out. We can link it. Um so as I was progressing in my postpartum sex journey, I was realizing a lot of the concepts I was working on in my workouts and my restorative routines mm. were translating directly to the bedroom. Nice. And so for one, everyone do yourself a huge favor and your partner and get a wedge, yes. a liberator wedge. Did you get one? I, I didn't. I have not. I need to okay. order one. You need to order one. They're mm -hmm. amazing. I love it. And everyone, all of my friends that have gotten one have loved them. It's deeper. So guys love it. It helps those pelvic organs move back if you have prolapse. So that's great. It relaxes that posterior back half of your pelvic floor and that passive tuck. Um, they're just awesome. So for the first like two plus years after my third kid, we never had sex without it or a pillow if we weren't home. Like it was always supported um, mm -hmm. because I had a lot of pinching in mm -hmm. the front, like under my pubic bone. So getting your abs and hamstrings on to support that pelvis when you're on your back, rolling back a little bit, like Haley said, pinching your partner with your knees a little bit or rotating your feet out for that internal rotation because that opens your outlet. Mm -hmm. um, that would help a lot. Just feeling a little bit of those abs support the front and getting your ribs in. Because a lot of times, like you think about like all fours with sex, right? Mm -hmm. And so many of us arch our backs yeah, and like you're flare to look our like ribs. That sexy. Yeah. <laughs> and that like puts you in so much extension. But if you can get a little bit, you can't, you can't tuck or they're not going to be able to get in, right? You're mm -hmm. going to close the door. Kind of find that neutral. Right. Find a little bit of ab control in the front. Close your ribs. There's mm -hmm. so many times where I'm like focusing on my breathing. And I just like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just breathing but i like to get down on my elbows yep to get that like yeah lift of your pelvic floor mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so i find those inverted positions like are what i usually start people with exercise wise right because you just get, let's just take gravity off of this yeah right that's like you've never you know you have an injured bicep not going to necessarily start with a 20 pound weight in your hand. So when you're upright and standing, now you've got the weight of all of your organs on that pelvic floor. It's putting more demand on it. Let's get you inverted, pull those pelvic organs off the pelvic floor, and now you can strengthen and activate and relax that pelvic floor better mm -hmm. so that then now, okay, now we can come upright. Now we can come add more weight, add, add more pressure and progress that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I like try to find a lot of, not a lot of, I try to connect with my abs and hamstrings when I'm having those symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, even in all fours, you can like swing your feet out compared to your knees and you're in hip internal rotation, opening mm -hmm. your pelvic outlet. Mm -hmm. It's great. It and, feels yeah. And for me, better. that's like when I'm messing around with stuff like that, I'm like, what about now? What do you feel? I know. What do you feel now? Ash is Get, so patient. And it's like, are you in Haley, are you enjoying this? I know. <laughs> or is this is this homework? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm enjoying this. I like just shush. Yeah. <laughs> just tell me. With prolapse, some people actually feel like sex makes their prolapse better. Mm -hmm. Probably because like kind of they're getting pushed. Back. You know, things are getting pushed in, and other people feel like it might make it worse and I think there it's more of that tensing or guarding or mm -hmm. maybe your pelvic floor just gets tired because 
sex is exercise for your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So if you're already tight or if it's like fatiguing because it's weak, then you might be more symptomatic afterwards. Mm -hmm. But just finding those little things like lube or a wedge or positions or Mm -hmm. foreplay or trigger point release, all of those things can really make a big difference. Mm -hmm. So where I'm at in our return to sex journey is that at my four-week appointment, I had two really superficial skin stitches. And they should have been long out, long disintegrated by my four-week appointment. Both of them were still, and I could feel them. Like, I could feel like there's still something in there. I don't know why they haven't come out yet. Like, what's going on? Um, so at my four-week appointment, she took was able to take one out. But then one when she tried to take it out, it was, like, bleeding. So she's like, I'm going to leave that second one in there. I don't want to mess with it, but we'll, we'll, we'll check back in two weeks. And it should be out on its own. If it's not, then we'll take it out. Which was surprisingly uncomfortable to get it out. I don't know if it was just how it was or how what my, my body was maybe holding on to them. I don't know. So all I'm having Bobby do is actually, like, working on that tissue, Mm-hmm. So like releasing that that scar tissue because as small as that tear was and as as superficial as that tear was, I have probably more sensitivity on that scar tissue than I did when I had a second degree tear. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. And I don't like, and I never had to work on that scar. It never felt uncomfortable or sensitive with my first birth. And my stitches came out really quickly. I, I don't know. I, I really can't explain why that's been the case where that tissue has been a little bit more sensitive. I never had Bobby do perineal massage with Cam. Like, and so this time around, I've been very more intentional of like no you're involved in this process and so he's working on that scar tissue for me yeah and that's been like a I'm feeling more familiar and more comfortable with what's going on with my pelvic floor you're now familiarizing yourself with (laughs) reacquainting yourself with my body and I'm also making Bobby do his his PRI exercises so um I asked Bobby's permission to talk about this (laughs) And he also agreed that it's called Don't Beat Around the Bush Podcast. So we need to get right into all the nitty gritty in that, you know, this concept of ladywood, it exists for male erections also. And um, there is a noted difference in the size of girth and length of an erection done post breathing PRI exercises. That's with, a good plug for PRI. Without a doubt. Like... <laughs> Without a doubt. Very good marketing. (laughs) Like, I almost want to do research study on it. So now we're both doing our pelvic floor exercises because so then when we when we work through this process of like now it's time and we're going to do this and I feel ready to to take that step. Yeah, now it's going to be sort of optimized experience for for both of us. And then the time that like, oh, I'm going to do some of my exercises before I go to bed. So are you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and it's, yeah, it's motivating for <laughs> it's motivating for both of us. But Bobby did want me to say whether or not he does his exercises. It's, a, it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> it is. I feel very fortunate in the comfort that we have in that relationship. And I feel like becoming a public floor PT and, and also learning more and more about this has been, has been really cool. And, and it's really cool that he's interested in that process also and I'm thankful I'm definitely thankful for that it's a gift for sure Mm -hmm. to have supportive spouses and partners so another funny story about that is I had a um when I first started doing PRI probably my first month working here I was not a public floor PT but I was doing postural restoration I had a a male patient who was older uh, probably in his 
50s who in his medical record was was taking medication for ED, but that wasn't why he was in PT. It was for chronic low back pain and was really grouchy. I remember this Really, story. really grouchy guy. It was like within a two or three weeks of treating him was significantly less grouchy every time and then all of a sudden he was like this really bubbly like friendly like super nice guy and and I know that that happens when you see clients anyways like they get to know you and they open up you know they're feeling good and back was feeling good and everything was feeling good and he was like his personality just shift shifted literally like three weeks into treating this patient his wife makes an appointment <laughs> his wife makes an appointment with me and she's like I don't know what you're doing but I'm into it <laughs> And it was like this sort of unsaid, like eye contact, winky wink, whole exchange. And I was like, oh my gosh. I you think, just probably saved their marriage. I was like, I think or they're having sex now. <laughs> and, and who knows? That might have been that the back pain that was maybe limiting that. And nobody ever came flat out and said <laughs> that. That was just sort of my, in my head. But I think that's probably what was going on because, like, the wife was super happy, husband was super happy, ended up treating a couple other kids. Like, it was the whole like family. <laughs> the power of breath and pelvic floor awareness and pelvic floor movement and, and that ability to direct, you know, get good blood flow and pressure management for female arousal mm -hmm. and male arousal. It's, you know, it's, I mean, we're very, very similar. Mm -hmm. As far as like muscles and I mean, there's obvi obviously differences, but as far as the concepts, you know, we all have pelvic floors. They all need to work in various ways mm -hmm. to optimize function. Yeah. So mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, all you mamas, maybe you should um, share your pelvic floor exercises with your spouses and then well, everyone can get some. Up until probably year uh, probably up until a year, year and a half ago, Bobby could not feel what I was talking about when I said, feel that air, like as you inhale, feel your air extend, like past your rib, into your ribs, into your low back, into your back pockets, like into your pelvic floor. He was like, yeah, yeah, but didn't like get it, get it until, you know, relatively recently. And yeah, it's like once that, once that clicks, Talk about optimizing function, mm -hmm. right? So if you're optimizing hip function, hip strength, you're optimizing glute strength, you're optimizing pelvic floor control, yeah, sex is going to get better. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just a natural thing. And that's really cool. Like, that's really awesome. Why not? We all need more sex. <laughs> that's maybe what, what the world needs. Yeah. <laughs> the world needs right the whole world needs. <laughs> you just go back to the 60s. and. <laughs> So, so know your bush, love your bush. I always want to say share your bush, and that's just not appropriate. <laughs> share, but maybe share the bush. <laughs> share the bush. Share you your bush with whomever deserves it. <laughs>communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast, as well as our email account, which is Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment and share all the bushy love.
It's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by Addie and myself. (laughs) And our music is provided by Blockhead. So speaking of sex, after Cam was born, we kind of adopted this like nap time is better time because at 10 o'clock at night, I'm done. Yeah. Amen. Well, now my three-year-old's not napping anymore. That, you now in the morning she's i gotta he wakes up early now you just have to lock the doors but it's so, getting darker so like daylight savings means that he does go to bed a bit earlier and we have been trying some melatonin with him and that's working quite well so maybe the evening's not off limits i don't know if i've ever told you this story so at kansas in kansas last year our kids are well at that point we're six five and three right mm-hmm. and so they were they're getting sneakier and sneakier where they're like knocking on the door and trying to come in like if they're up right so ash and i are like okay we're gonna foolproof this we're gonna lock the bedroom door we're gonna lock the bathroom door and we had a little door wedge that we shoved under it was carpeted floor so it didn't work great but we shoved under the the master door and we're like okay we're good because it was like in the morning (laughs) just like some shower time right so i'm literally I'm literally bent forward in the shower and I look to my right and there's Owen. They picked the locks on both doors and got in without us hearing them. So I like look over and there's Owen. I'm like, oh shit. (laughs) Like, thank God the... You know, there was nothing see-through of, like, the shower curtain. So, like, it just looked like I was so grabbing the soap. I actually just saw a post. Um, there's an Instagram account that I follow called Sex Positive Families. Okay. And it's, like, a sex education Instagram I account. I need to follow that. And they talk a lot about consent and, like, talk a lot about how to teach your kids about consent. And, and what. so the, a recent post was, like, what to do if your kids walk in on you having sex. Did you share that? I feel like I saw that. Maybe. I don't know. It was good. It was like, it's not something that was bad. You're not saying like, oh, you know, it wasn't a bad thing. You don't freak out so that it's, you know, it's normalized. It is normal. Yeah. This is a normal thing. And you happened to like walk in on it. That doesn't mean that you're bad. That doesn't mean that we're bad, you know. And so an opportunity to really kind of initiate those conversations versus creating shame or creating Mm -hmm. you know complexes about sex so it's always good to like get a gut check on stuff like that because like your reaction is like oh no my my reaction was like hi owen and then i turned and looked at ash and we just both had golf ball Mm -hmm. eyes and we're like stop now (laughs) yeah we're entering those years i feel like all right. Well, thank you all for sharing about the yes. podcast. Share with your friends. Share. I'm hearing a lot of people like share with random people. So yeah. that's super awesome. Yeah. Share the bushy love. And we'll be back next time with another fun, uncensored episode. Woohoo. Bye bye.